Welcome to the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. Here, we dive into topics that reach far beyond the salon. I'm your host, Misty Jane. I'm a life and money coach for stylists who are obsessed with personal growth. I help you enhance your mindset around money, build a business that lights you up, and create a life of peace. Me and my guests are on a mission to normalize the wealthy stylist while creating a safe space to be perfectly imperfect. Want to join me? Then you're in the right place. Hello there, friends. Welcome back to the Cash Confident Stylist. Super excited about this episode because me and my friend Kelly, you can find her on Instagram at Scissors Makes Sense, are talking all about salon ownership. Now, this is something that I have never experienced at I have been in a suite before, so I have been a suite owner with zero employees, but I have never been a salon owner. And given some things that have happened to me in the past couple months, I thought it was an important conversation to have for anyone who is thinking about being a salon owner or thinking that it has to be their next step. So we dive into what it actually looks like, what you really need to know before you begin, the steps that you need to take before you begin, and really diving deep into the personal um, self-improvement side to become the leader that you are hoping to be in creating the culture that you are hoping to create. So this is an amazing conversation. If you do not follow Kelly on Instagram, again, go over to Scissors Makes Sense, sense as in like pennies, like change sense, <laughs> um, and give her a follow because she is always coming through with some amazing, amazing information. Also, we are almost in December. I can't even believe it. I don't know how it's December. Well, it's not December yet, but it's almost December 2022, which is wild. Um, December is a tough month financially. A lot of money going out. Also, a lot of money coming in. I want you to be able to find more money without working more because let's be real, December is one of the hardest seasons for stylists or the beauty industry in general. So I have my five ways to find money cheat sheet. Go and grab it in the show notes. You can also find it in my Instagram link in bio, but this is going to give you five ways to find money without working more behind the, working more in the salon. The beauty of this, you got money for savings, you got money for presents, you got money for whatever it is you need around the holidays or to save for when the holidays are over. So go and grab that. It is literally putting hundreds of dollars back in people's pockets, which just makes me so unbelievably happy. Um, And it's little stuff. It's the tiny things. Remember, the little things add up to the big stuff. $27.40 a day adds up to $10,000 a year, okay? So let's stop thinking that the little $5, $10 um, amounts that we're spending don't count. They count more than the big stuff. Trust me. So go grab that. It's five ways to find money. Cheat sheet. It's 100% free. um, And yeah, it's yours. So Enjoy this conversation. Um, if you have ever thought you want to be a salon owner or are in the progress of um, getting your ducks in a row to become one, you cannot miss this. And if you like it, do not forget to share it with a friend, tag me, post it on Instagram, tag Kelly, all of the things, um, and enjoy. 
Hi, Kelly. Hello. <laughs> how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, you were on it when it was still Backroom Beauty Talks, and now it is the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast, which I know you love talking about money. <laughs> yes, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> so before we start, um, I want you to tell the listeners who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name's Kelly, and I am the um, owner, founder of Scissors Make Sense Education. I am a published author, um, a business coach. I own a seven-figure hair salon, um, and now just dipping my toes into the retreat world. So now I'm offering retreats in Tulum, Mexico. Yes, we actually just got back from Kelly's house in Tulum, and it was absolutely wonderful, which we'll talk a little bit more about this later. Um, so, okay. I want to kind of start this conversation with something that happened to me recently, because I feel like it is, a, it's relatable. And I think it's also very important. Um, and this is the first time I've talked about this because it was something I was kind of keeping to myself besides like friends and things like that. Um, so for the past four years, I have been eyeing a salon space in the front of my neighborhood. I have been peeking in the window. I have been thinking about what I want to do with it. All of these things. It popped up for lease like out of nowhere. Like I started crying. I called my husband. I'm not ready for this, but it's like, what do I do? And he's like, you've been wanting it for four years. Go for it. Go for it. So I did. And I tried to get it. And I, you know, got the realtor and put in my application and all of the things. And I waited a month. I think it was a month. And then I found out that I did not get the space. And I was pretty sad. I mean, I, I was more sad than I thought I was going to be. And I text you and you asked me a question that changed everything for me. And it was, um, was I attached to the space or was I attached to the idea of being a salon owner? And for three days, I really, really heavily thought about that question. And I realized that if I was attached to being a salon owner, I wouldn't be so disappointed. I would just move on and find a different space. And I was like, nope, I don't want anywhere else. That's all I wanted. And you were right. I was 100% attached to the idea of this space. And I, I want to talk about this today because I think a lot of times, especially stylists, booth renters, um, you know, somebody, they, they think they, they think they want to be a salon owner, right? Whether they want to create their own space, whether they want to create their own culture, um, whether they just think it's the next step. You know, because a lot of times we just, well, this is what's next. This is what we have to do. And I want to talk to you about that because one, thank you. <laughs> I think I would have eventually liked it and eventually figured it out, but it probably would have been a very, very long road. Um, so talk to me a little bit about this because you coach salon owners or people who want to become salon owners. And what do you see when it comes to a stylist wanting to be a salon owner? Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on a lot of the main points. I was writing them down just now as you were saying them, because I'm like, yep, she's right. She's right. You know, I think first and foremost, um, even in my own experience, it was that I never had a big picture dream. I always was one who just like did something, did it well, and then was like, okay, well, what's next? What's next? And so it just felt like the natural progression was to open a hair salon because that was the next step in my career. And I did it. And I think a lot of times us salon owners kind of get really caught up in the space 
And then we start decorating it and we start visualizing it and it feels so pretty and it feels good. We want to make our own rules, have our own policies. Um, and yet there was also like a little mindset there that was like, you know, I want to combine everything that I've loved from the places I've worked, but leave out all the things that I didn't love. And that I was just in my head had this perfect little vision of what that was going to look like. And so when I'm working with these salon owners, you don't know what you don't know. And even though you can prepare yourself as much as possible in the beginning, you have literally no idea what that day-to-day -day feels like. And um, I think a lot of them go into it not realizing what it actually takes um, to run a business. Mm, what does it actually take? Um, you know, it's, it's all of the obvious things, the logistics of it, of being organized, having systems, understanding numbers and budgets and all of that. But the biggest, biggest piece um, and we were talking about this earlier is just, it's the healing work. It's the mindset work. It's the ability to, um, eliminate your own pettiness. I have to ask myself that a hundred times a day, Kelly, is this your own pettiness pet peeve, or is this truly an issue in the business and learning how to identify those two can be extremely difficult because your body and feelings want to kick in and make you think that something petty is really an issue and it's not. Um, and it's really being able to be compassionate and empathetic to people and realizing that um, you have to put yourself in those shoes and say, if I was a client, what would I want? If I was an employee, what would I want? And remembering that what you would want isn't always the decision that you would actually make for your business and then learning how to differentiate between the two. So believe it or not, it's not necessarily the logistics. I mean, I teach that in my program all about systems and leadership and financials, but it's that other piece of personal development, which is really, really important. You owe it to yourself for your own sanity and you owe it to your team if you want to have them there for the long haul. Yes. I think it's so important. I've been asking on the podcast lately, pretty much everyone. Um, and I already know your answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, do you think that somebody can be successful in whatever it is they're doing without the personal development aspect? That is a very good question. Um, do I think that they can? Yeah, I think anything's possible. Do I think that that's a tougher road? 100%, you know, and it's like, what does success look like to some people, you know, and I think that people um, define that in so many different ways. But for me, success is being joyful and happy and peaceful in everything that I'm doing. And so I personally don't feel that you can do it without the mind work or else you're just going to be living highly anxious and frustrated. But if success is only measured by bringing in money and producing, um, then yeah, maybe, you know, but where's your sanity level in that? Right. Well, for me, success is all of those that like, it's, it, it can't just be the financial part in my, in yeah. my opinion, you know, success, it has to be happiness, peace, all of the things. Um, and so far, everyone I've asked said, no, you have to have that piece. <laughs> yeah. And I would um, say that, that is the Kelly answer. But again, I think everything's possible. I think there are people who do it. I just think that they're miserable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Not happy, and that's the part, you know, but where is success? What does that mean to each person? Right, right. I think a big part of any business as well, um, and I can only imagine that it's even larger as a salon owner, um, is not taking things so personal. Absolutely. 
I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in, you know, well, if a client's not happy, if a stylist isn't happy, whatever, like we are bad people or something is wrong with us. When in actuality, that's, that's not the case. Like we are still awesome and whole and all of the things and enough and all the things we just have an aspect of our business that needs to be tweaked. And I think even with coaching, um, I find that I have to remind myself, even as a stylist, I had to remind myself, like, if this person doesn't want to come to me anymore, it's not because I'm not enough as a human. It is just because either they don't align with me anymore or, you know, whatever the case is. And I, I can only imagine that that is a very large piece of being a salon owner. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And something that I say all the time in my coaching is that you are not your business and your business is not you. And they are allowed to be two separate entities that are working cohesively. And, um, you know, it's like what you said and kind of what I was saying a second ago, where it's like, you have to constantly put yourself into people's shoes. So it's like when someone stops coming to you or they leave for whatever reason, the best thing you can do is say, have I ever done that? And I have, I've forgotten to make an appointment when I left. You know, I always try to make my appointment before I leave because if it's not on my calendar, it's not getting done. And then if I don't, then a million different things happen. And then the next thing I know, when I go back, they're like, I haven't seen you in two years. And I'm like, it's been two years. (laughs) There can be so many different reasons. And so I think it's really, really important and critical to constantly ask, you know, have I ever done this? Have I ever not returned back? And what were those reasons? Because a lot of times the reasons aren't the stories that we tell ourselves. The stories. We place so many stories around things that happen in our lives that are so not true. (laughs) I say that to myself all the time now. Is this true or is this the story that I've made up? And I guarantee 95% of the time it's a story that I made up. What do you say is the biggest um, challenge for... Let's go with new salon owners because we kind of started this conversation with, um, you know possibly wanting to be a salon. What, what, what do you think the biggest challenge is? Cause everyone does, they get, you got your Pinterest board going, you have the idea of what you want your mission statement to be, but what is the thing that nobody's expecting that happens at the beginning? The biggest challenges I think are realizing that owning a salon isn't the picture you had in your head that you cannot predict what's going to be thrown at you every single day. And then, you know, coupled that with the capacity. And so it's like, you know, we go in as a busy and booked stylist and we think that we're going to run our salons with our full schedule. And then you start realizing there isn't any time for the chaos control and chaos can be big or small. It doesn't have to be big chaos. It can be very, very small, like your washing machine broke, or it can be really, really big that someone's left and now you have to hire And I think that they don't realize that to be a successful salon owner, you have to build in capacity time. You have to have time to run your business and figure out how to do all of the pricing to make that happen so that you're getting paid for that time, you know, because I think that's another thing is so many salon owners aren't getting paid appropriately for Mm -hmm. the time that they're working. Um, And so all of that kind of works together. And I think that they just don't go into it, understanding the full capacity that it's going to take and the demand on their schedules outside of being a busy and booked stylist. Yes. I I remember I worked in um, a commission salon for seven years and I remember when I first started working there, they were great. They like 
they like helped like they did education all the time. They taught us customer service. They were always in the salon. You know, they both worked. One was um, esthetician and one was behind the chair. Um, and they, you know, they were in there even when they weren't behind the chair, like it was awesome. And then it's like, they, I'm going to quote, became successful. And then they started just disappearing or overworking. So like, you know, you wouldn't see the esthetician all day because she was working the whole time. Like, and then everything started to fall apart. And it was like, it's like they forgot that it's like they hit this peak and then they forgot they had to continue to like nurture the mountain, I guess. I don't know if that's a good, <laughs> good example, but, um, and it was interesting because it went downhill quickly. Mm-hmm. And I find that fascinating because I don't know how many stylists I have talked to that say, I want to open my salon because I want to work less. I know. <laughs> and I always just kind of give a look like, huh. <laughs> and it's possible that, I mean, at that point, you know, I've been in business 13 years and, you know, I'm a seven figure business now. And yes, I have stepped away from behind the chair and it depends on what their definition of work less is because mm-hmm. my work has shifted. Um, yes, I work less behind the chair, but I don't work less. I'm constantly working. You never stop working. You wake up at 7 a.m. and someone's texting you because they're sick or their child's sick or their dog ran out the front door and they're going to be late or, you know, there's all of these various different reasons. And one of the analogies I like to use in my program for salon owners is like, we're kind of like the um, conductor of the orchestra, right? And so you've got this whole group of people and each one's playing a different instrument. So they all need to have a different role. They come in at a different time, but at the end of the day, every instrument needs to play harmoniously so that it is this gorgeous song. And that's your role as the salon owner is that you are conducting everything, you know, the, the ultimate party planner, making sure everything's happening when it's supposed to. And so you are working, it's just, you're not necessarily behind the chair and your focus needs to be on making sure that everything is happening harmoniously and cohesively so that your stylist can come in and have just a lot of ease to their day. Mm, Yes, absolutely. What would you say if somebody's thinking about, they want to be a salon owner, okay? Somebody's listening to this and they're like excited to hear what you have to say because they can't wait to open a salon. That question you asked me was so simple, but like very important that I did not think about. What are some other questions that you would have them ask themselves before they took the first step or the next step, whatever step they're on? Yeah, I usually do kind of a this or that, you know, so it's like, do you like doing the creative side of hair? Or are you someone who likes to sit in front of a computer and do logistics and numbers? And, you know, do you like measuring things like that? Like, where would you rather spend your time? Um, Another really critical question is like your love of people. Like, do you think of yourself as a teacher? Um, Because there's so much coaching that goes into um, a team, you know, and your focus is always on the success of your stylist, the growth of your stylist, um, making them happy and fulfilled. Of course, those are going to be things that lead to retention at the same time. And so um, I think it's just really digging deep as to where your passions are, because if you truly are just extremely passionate about doing hair and being creative, there are so many ways that you can grow in your career without being a salon owner. It is a completely different ball game. And I think that's where they get confused. It's like, oh, I'm just going to do some hair. The salon will make money. It'll be great. And it's so much more than that. Yeah. And I don't, I think people don't realize that like whatever culture they're creating has to be 
nurtured as well. Like sure you can hire people that, that they think they want to be a part of your culture. They, but once they're there, there's going to be things that maybe don't align. And that's where like the leadership has to come in. Like, it's always like awesome idea to think that everyone's just going to fall into place, but is that realistic? Right. (laughs) No. no. And that was like the first mistake I made when I opened, you know, was like, I'm going to open up and I'm going to hire people that are just like me and I'll never have to manage anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that took maybe two or three weeks to realize that was the biggest mistake I had ever made. And actually I was married at the time. So my husband who had a full-time job in corporate was going to be the one to come in and do that type of leadership and management because at the time I was not strong in it at all. And what I quickly realized the first incident that I had in the salon was I'd go home and I would tell him, he's like, well, do you want me to go in and handle it? And I'm like, well, no, now it's just going to look like I'm tattletaling. And it was the very first incident that I realized I better step up and learn how to run this team um, or I'm going to be in real trouble. And, you know, I failed at it miserably for the first five or so years. I even had someone look me right in my face and say, I don't respect you as a leader. Because Mm. I was, you know, she was a really hard worker and I was allowing these people to get away with things. And it was making her question, why do I work so hard with so much integrity when these people don't, you know? And so it was affecting my good ones. Um, And so, yeah, I had to quickly realize that I had to learn some leadership skills fast. I, all right, I want to go down this road because I have left salons that one particular salon because of one person that, that was not where I felt everyone else. I don't know how to explain this, but the bad seed will, will literally eliminate the good ones. And I don't think people think about this. Mm -hmm. Like, do you see this often? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was just in a situation recently, you know, where I had someone who was constantly pushing my boundaries and marching to their own beat. And, you know, this person thought that I was just singling them out always. And I was like, I'm not singling you out. And, you know, again, that's where we say like, you're not your business and your business is not you. Kelly, the individual had a lot of compassion for this person and understood a lot of why it was happening. But I also realized as the business owner that what I allow for one, I allow for all. And I, one of my brand words is integrity. And, you know, I have very few policies, but the ones that are there are my non-negotiables and um, I withhold them. And if we have conflict in that, then I, you know, we're going to have to part ways. It's not going to work because what I allow one person to get away with, the rest of the team either notices it and thinks it's fairness, um, I'm sorry, unfairness or favoritism, you know, or they think that, um, that there's no merit or weight to my policies. And then you find everyone slowly starting to do the same thing and you lose all control and there goes your harmonious song. You know, I mean, you start losing the control. Yeah. Do you think the employee having employees is the hardest part of being a business owner? Not having employees, but managing people because even the ones with the best intentions, you know, I mean, things happen. We're not robots. So especially as your team gets bigger, no one's, um, you know, maliciously calling out sick, but every single day there's a new issue, a new problem. There's a client, there's this, you know, so I think it's not even about stylists or clients. It's just managing people, you know, because everyone has a little nuance and everyone has a little something they like different. And so you've got to learn that about each individual, um, and make sure that you're showing up for them the way that they need you to show up. 
Mm, I love that. Um, okay. We're going to flip the script a little bit and we're going to talk about money. Cause I know okay. that you are a fellow money lover, I guess we're going to yeah. call it. <laughs> so, okay. Stylist decides they want to be a salon owner. What would their first step financially be if they were going to do it? I'm going to use quotations the right way because I don't know, you know, if there's really a right way, but you know what I'm saying? Like, what would their first step be? Would it be save money? Would it be takeout loans? Would it be like, what do you think somebody either needs to do or really heavily think about before they move forward? Yeah. I mean, I think that like that in itself is a great question is like, what, how am I going to fund this? Am I going to do it personally? Am I going to do it on a loan? Am I going to use a credit card? Like how am I going to fund this? What's this going to look like? Um, and then really looking down, I always say, start off, you know, and in that early year, you're doing a little bit of guessing, but start off by figuring out what are your business bills and then what are your business expenses going to look like? Then you take that number and you combine them. That's your operating number. And then you go from there and then you factor in, you know, profit. Nobody goes into business to work for no profit. So if you're not thinking about that and including it into your pricing plan, um, you know, what's the point? And then there's owner distributions and your taxes and all of those things and figuring out what is your monthly break even number. Um, and that's where you need to start because your pricing is going to reflect that. And I think a lot of people go into a salon using numbers from the salon they previously worked at. So this was my pricing there. This will be my pricing here. Um, and they don't even understand why they're charging what they're charging based off of what it's going to take to run their business. Um, and so from there, I think that's a really great starting point. And then that will give you kind of a clear understanding of which direction to go and how you're going to fund that. Um, of course, part of the funding, if it's loans and things like that, needs to be accounted for in that monthly bill. So when you're doing your pricing, you better make sure that you're doing that and not sacrificing any type of profit or pay um, mm -hmm. at the same time. So um, it's all a mathematic equation and it can all be broken down to show you you know, how that equates to one stylist or 10 stylists, but that's all information that you should definitely be equipped um, for setting up your business for success. So, okay. So somebody's listening to this. They want to be a salon owner. They are listening to my podcast. So they more than likely have a little bit of overwhelm around money. They're hearing you say these things, these words, these lists of things, right? And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this. What do you suggest? Oh, hiring a coach. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're not going to say it, I'll say it. <laughs> yes. Hire a coach. <laughs> now, do you suggest somebody hire before they start? I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, why not set the foundation? It's so much easier to go in with a solid foundation than it is to have to go in in a race, especially if you have a team. Because once you get into that territory, then you have to look at what am I taking away and always replace it with something you're giving. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, manage the past while you grow your future. So you can't just go in and change a lot. So if you start your business off, with a very, very strong foundation and understanding, of course, you're just setting yourself up for stronger success. Absolutely. What was one of the biggest um, like money blocks you had before you became a salon owner and how has it changed? So ooh, money blocks, I'm trying to think of how I want to answer this. I mean, the thing that I went into it with was that, you know, money for me was something that defined my worth. I always put it around my worth being about that. And it could be either good or bad. I could see it either way. And so when I opened my salon, I took the pricing that I was doing where I came from. 
put that in place. And then I said across the board, every stylist is going to charge the same amount because no one's better or worse than the other. We're equals. Um, and I ran that way for a long time until I realized that was a um, plan to fail, you know? And so there were so many reasons we can unpack there on why that is not a solid business move. But I think that I went into it, A, with the just doing what I already knew and B saying that I'm not worth more, mm. right? That money was worthiness. And, um, you know, I didn't want to position myself as the owner and say, well, because I'm the owner, I'm worth more, you know? And it's like, no, I'm not worth any more than anyone else. And I was defining worth in a very different way than what it actually really was. How did that shift for you? Um, you know, I started realizing that, you know, your worth isn't, your worth is priceless. And so pricing is more about the value that we're offering. And so I don't really like the phrase charge your worth and worthiness because we're all worthy um, of so many different things. So it was like, I started realizing that by having a price point, let's say at $50, you know, you have your luxury shoppers who would look at that as cheap. And then you have your bargain shoppers who would say that's too expensive. And so by boxing yourself into this one price point, you were really kind of prohibiting yourself from having a larger scope of people. And so from there, I created a 15 point price plan in my salon um, so that when someone comes in, they know they're going to grow with me at least 15 points. And um, we have something that is extremely affordable all the way up to something that someone would define as luxury. And then we put the value on each of those services, things like what is this person's demand? What is their education level? How many years of experience do they have in the business? And those types of things are what are adding value um, to the service. And so um, it's been huge for the success of, you know, the financial success of my salon having that. And now we can pretty much accommodate anyone who comes in the door. Yes. I absolutely love that. Okay. Staying on the money topic. Okay. The word budget, you and I are on the same page about this word. People still hate it. They don't like it. They think that it's restrictive. They think that, um, it's too many. Now I'm not a numbers person, like all the things, right. And they literally stay away from it, but how has a budget impacted and improved not only your business, but your life? Yeah. I mean, I love, you were the one that caught me looking at it as a spending plan. And I love that because it's basically like saying, these are the dollars that I have. How am I going to allocate and spend them? They're not restricting me. It's just giving me the power of like what I'm going to use each one for. And having a solid spending plan for my business and my personal life has given me so much freedom. It is given, it has taken away all of the anxiety because now I know like once a year, even something as small as my cosmetology license, $150 that each month, I'm just going to stick $5 in that. And that may seem silly to a lot of people, you know, when you're looking at it that small, but when that comes, I've got money there. That's like, this is my purpose. And I'm giving every single dollar a job so that when I need it, it's there. And I don't have to stress about well, where am I going to get it from? There's no more surprises. You know, the first year you are going to have some surprises, right? Because there's things you didn't think of, but you just add them in for the next year. And after, you know, a certain few years in business and life, you're going to start realizing you've thought of everything. And now there's nothing that can come your way. That's a surprise. Even things like my washing machine broke. Well, I have a maintenance fund for that, you know? Um, and so you're determining how much each month you want to put in that. And then it allows you to live your life and business completely debt-free, you know, and that's something that I'm really, really proud of in my business is living debt-free. 
Absolutely. I I remember when we first got our financial shit together and we started putting aside little buckets of money here and there um, for various things. And I don't remember what happened. I think we needed new tires on the truck or something. And it was the first time that my husband and I were like, hey, we need to get new tires. Okay. There was no argument. There was no stress. There was no anxiety. The money was sitting there. It was sitting there specifically for something like that. I didn't have to pull it out of going out to eat. I didn't have to pull it out of, you know, going on vacation. Like it was sitting there ready to get the new tires. And I love that. Um, because again, it literally makes money less stressful. I mean, like you said, the, the, um, licensing, what is like $150 a year or something. If you are feeling stressed about money, and you get a $150 bill in the mail, it will literally push you over the edge. Like it will make, put you in a bad mood. It will make you yell at your kids, your husband, like all of the things, but simply putting that $5 away for it. And then it pops up and you have the money. Like it's not that hard of a thing. I always say too, spending plan gives you permission to spend. Mm-hmm which I think is another thing people don't realize, you know, if you want to spend $300 on one restaurant, you know, on, on a Saturday night, awesome. Put it in your spending plan. You have now had permission. You don't go into the restaurant and feel guilty for spending it, you know? So I think that, I think we just need to work together here, Kelly, and like switch this perspective for people. <laughs> yeah, and the quote that came to mind just now is that, you know, it's like not a, it's not a money quote, but it's small changes add to big results. So if you get that, you know, seven, $800 bill for new tires and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and it's going to throw off your whole month. But you think about dividing that number into 12 months and you're just putting these small little pieces aside, you know, that the license is such a good example, you know, I'm just $5 a month gives me that peace of mind, you know? So it's just that small little change, that small little contribution that adds to a big result. And honestly, I don't know about you, Misty, but I end up with like, I I get so much confidence. So like when the time comes, that I need that money. I can, I can remember when my washing machine broke at the salon or my dryer, one of the two, and I had to go buy one. I walked up into that Lowe's. I mean, I was like, you know, who walks into Lowe's feeling like so proud, but I'm in there with my shoulders back and I'm like, that's right. I'm here to buy a dryer and I'm going to pay cash for it. You know, it's such a different feeling that you get versus having to like scrape it together and go in there with the anxiety versus going in super proud that you were prepared for that moment. So there's so much more to it. Um, just bringing this full circle to the mindset. There's so much more to it than just saving your dollars. It's just the confidence, the peace of mind, the anxiety free living that you have that having the spending plan brings to you. I love that. I've talked about this a couple of times recently on the podcast, but I've, I just read a book called happy money which I highly, highly recommend. Um, I think Ken Honda is the author, I believe. Um, But he talks about every money exchange being happy. So I use the example all the time that if you have like a client that like stresses you out and then they pay you, you don't feel good about that money, right? And I love that you said you walk in and feel confident, even though it's something that you don't wanna happen, right? Nobody wants to have their washer and dryer explode everywhere, whatever, you know, have to buy a new one. But the fact that like, you were excited to give them that money because you trusted yourself enough to have the confidence to like prepare is happy money, you know? So like, I, I love that. I think that everyone's goal should be every financial exchange, try and be happy money, whether it's something, I mean, nobody wants to pay, you know, a bill or something, but like, again, 
what is that bill providing you? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm paying my electric bill, what's providing me heat and it's providing me, you know, lights. And like, I think I love that. I just love that. Um, Okay. I want to flip, flip a little bit and talk about your retreat because again, we just got back from your house in Tulum. It was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely amazing. All of the things. So tell everyone listening a little bit about this retreat. What is everyone going to be learning? What is everyone going to be doing? All the things. Yes. So I'm hosting my first retreat ever. I'm super excited. Um, it is in my own home, um, which is really, really cool. So it's a mini retreat, which means we'll have a small intimate group. Um, it is over a long weekend and it is the first one we're doing is a financial workshop retreat. So it ties perfectly into what we're talking about. Um, for anyone who is a beauty professional, whether you're a solopreneur, salon owner, you just want a clear understanding of your financials. Um, we're going to be doing three workshops. So number one is just really honing in on understanding your business, what it takes per hour per stylist to run your business. We're going to then take that into your pricing and compensation plan to make sure um, that you are charging and compensating to make your goals happen. And then we turn that into your uh, budget, AKA spending plan um, for success. And that's where my personal guarantee is that we will have you making at least 10% profit owners distributions outside of being a hairstylist for a company you should get paid to run your business um, and having your business pay all of your taxes and operating expenses um, for you as well. So those are the three workshops that are taking place. Um, they're going to be about an hour a day. We're going to keep those like just meat and potatoes, short and sweet so that we can get to the good stuff, which is just exploring the jungle in Tulum. Um, we'll be swimming with turtles. We'll have cenote tours, beach days. Um, we're even going to bring in a photographer and do a content day so that you have content for your social media. So it is just going to be incredibly fun. I love Tulum. I feel like I always come back a different person when I come yes. back from Tulum. So I'm going to say two things. One, um, for anyone listening that has never done a retreat, um, it is so different when you are experiencing education somewhere else because numerous things like, yes, you have the classes every day, but the conversations that you have outside of the classes are everything everything like you, the class just like puts a seed of conversation in your mind. And then you expand on it throughout the rest of, of these experiences. As if you've listened for a while, you know, I love retreats. I love, um, one-on-one -on -one education. So, and number two, everyone fill up Kelly's DMS about how you want me to be there <laughs> <laughs> to talk money mindset. Okay. Yes. <laughs> no, this seriously. is a great idea. We should definitely plan that, Misty. I'm, I'm telling you, you yes, just let me know. We'll chat. Okay. But seriously, if you're listening, go and DM her and like <laughs> peer pressure her. <laughs> um, no, seriously though, the house is amazing. Um, I, I, I don't know. We had a great time. I mean, we kind of just went for fun, but yeah. I mean, we still got a lot out of it even with that. So, um, Kelly is a beautiful human that I dearly, dearly love. And I love that you said one of the things in your business is, is integrity because you exude integrity. So I don't know if exudes a word, but it sounded good right there. So we're going with it. <laughs> Thank you, Misty. I appreciate that so much. You are very, I'm just trying to butter you up. So you'll send me to the <laughs> Um, <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
So tell everyone listening um, where they can find you. Um, I will be putting any information that you talk about right now in the show notes for all those listening. So it's easy to find, but um, yeah, where can everyone find you? Yeah, I hang out mostly on Instagram. I know I should be on multiple platforms, but you know, going back to capacity, you only have it so much. Um, so I tried my best to do a whole lot of value on Instagram. I hang out there. Um, I give lots of tips and tidbits in my um, post and I'm always sharing in my stories um, and anything that I have going on with my coaching program, my one-on-ones retreats, any of that you're going to find there. Awesome. Yay, Kelly. Thank you so much for being coming back. Oh, I have one more question that I almost forgot that I ask everyone at the end. What does being a cash confident stylist mean to you? Ooh, you know, I think cash confidence, we've kind of embodied that, which is just being, you know, knowing where you're at and where you want to go and setting up the right goals and systems in place to make that happen so that you can live a fulfilled life, whatever that looks like to you and do it with peace and joy and as little anxiety as possible. Love it. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Once again, thank you for listening to the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of my listeners more than you know. If you like what you hear, please screenshot this episode, share it with a friend, share it on social media, and don't forget to tag me, Misty Jane, and the podcast at Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. You can even take it a step further and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Talk with you on the next one.